PulseCast is written and produced by students at SUNY New Pulse. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of SUNY New Pulse. Welcome to PulseCast, an original student-produced podcast from the campus of SUNY New Pulse. This is Season 1, covering everything from food to folklore. We hope you enjoy listening as much as we've enjoyed creating. Subscribe for new episodes and topics every semester. Welcome to PulseCast, Campus Quarrels Edition. We're your hosts, Keith, Greg, Lauren, and Tajana. Campus Quarrels is a special edition of PulseCast where we bring together two people from opposing sides of a campus-related issue to see if they can find common ground and understand each other a little better. Join the discussion of Winston Opalama, a New Paltz alum who is part of Greek life and supports it fully, and Kimberly Sanford, a current SUNY New Paltz student who is 100% opposed to Greek life. We started off by interviewing our guests separately to get a feel of their stances prior to the debate. First up was Winston. My name is Winston, Winston O'Palama, and I am a graduate of SUNY New Paltz. I would say I'm pro-Greek life. I am in a Greek organization, the Divine Nine organization, so yeah, pro-Greek. Now, I want to preface it by saying I can't speak for every single Greek organization. I'm specifically speaking in terms of uh, Divine Nine organizations. The first um, nine African-American-based fraternities and sororities in America. Every comment after is reference to that subsection of of Greek organizations because that is uh, my experience and my truth. So that's what I'm really representing. Greek organizations, uh, Divine Nine Greek organizations, allow for the culture of the black and brown community to be seen on campus. It allows for people of color on campus to feel welcome and feel represented because there are individuals who look like them that are in different leadership positions. After hearing from someone who was pro-Greek life, we reached out to Kimberly to get a perspective of anti-Greek life students. My name is Kimberly Sanford. My pronouns are she, her, hers. I am a senior studying English education and deaf studies at SUNY New Paltz. I'm also a self-identified social justice advocate and bisexual woman, which is going to be important for what we're discussing today. My stance on Greek life is that it poses a greater threat to the campus community as a whole than it actually provides positive opportunities and experiences to the student population it's intended to serve. What informs my stance on Greek life is, first and foremost, my identity as a bisexual woman. I'm, according to the CDC in a 2010 survey, nearly twice as likely as a heterosexual woman to be um, the victim of sexual violence, which is an important component of the narrative surrounding Greek life on college campuses and is my strongest reason for being opposed to its existence on any college campus across the U.S. Students at SUNY New Paltz, and every college for that matter, come from all walks of life, so there are bound to be disagreements. 
Topics like this can be hard to discuss, but the only way to invoke change is to have difficult discussions like this one. So we brought our two guests into the studio so they could present their viewpoints to each other. Here's what happened. I'm Keith. And I'm Tajana. We were the moderators for the debate. Our goal was to get our guests to have a civil conversation and hopefully find some common ground. We tried our best. My name is Winston. I am an alum of SUNY New Paltz. Graduated 2020 with a computer science degree. For uh, anonymity purposes, I'll leave the name of my fraternity out of uh, the podcast. My name's Kimberly. My pronouns are she, her, hers. I'm in my fourth year studying adolescent education in English and deaf studies. Right off the bat, you guys want to state your stance on fraternities and sororities? I am a part of a, a Divine Nine Greek organization. So I am by <laughs> association uh, for Greek life. And I am entirely opposed to the presence of Greek life on any college campus. Do you guys want to explain your stances a little bit? Sure. So as an educator and student of education, my greatest concern in any learning environment is creating and maintaining a safe learning environment. And part of that is making sure that students feel physically safe in the environment in which they're learning. So in a classroom, on a college campus, even off a college campus, in a college town, my concern first and foremost is students feeling safe. And because of the culture constructed and perpetuated by Greek life, one that promotes rape culture, I can't say that that's going to contribute to a safe and positive learning environment. And that's why I'm so strongly opposed to it. Well, I would like to question what part of Greek life actually promotes rape culture. We're looking specifically at fraternities when we're talking about the construction and perpetuation of rape culture, in part because they are male-dominated organizations that promote and reward people who participate in the organization for their sexual conquests. Rewarding behavior that is objectively predatory constructs an individualized and reinforces a general acceptance of sexually predatory behavior, and that's what rape culture is. So let me just get this right. Uh, your your belief is that not only is rape culture constructed and perpetuated by Greek culture, but apparently only fraternities partake in rape culture. Is that what you're saying? I'm saying Greek life plays a strong role in perpetuating rape culture specifically on college campuses. Rape culture exists in our society. Greek life is one form of which it takes. And you're saying fraternities are the ones that created and perpetuate this? Fraternities create their own acceptance of sexually predatory behavior and create their own rape culture within their organization and their campus community that lives within our greater society. And the actions that they permit and the actions they take perpetuate it. Okay, so... You are, are you excluding sororities from your belief or standpoint or what, what's your ideology behind that? Because, you, you know, you, you have just mentioned fraternities. They exist along a, a gender binary and in gender segregated housing. Sororities oftentimes have a lot less cultural and social influence on their college campus than fraternities do, in part because I'm sure, as you know, as a member of a fraternity, Sororities aren't allowed to host parties. 
distribute alcohol. A lot of them aren't even allowed to have alcohol in their off-campus housing, even if everyone in the organization is above 21. So I'm, I am going to enlighten you. That's 100% incorrect. I, don't, I actually don't know where you've heard that, but I don't actually blame you for your, you know, um, la- like lapse of like information, just because a lot of times people tend to view Greek organizations under just one umbrella. It's normal, I would say, just because of media, presentation, movies, you know, third party stories. However, there are multiple different sorts of uh, Greek organizations. And again, one thing I will say that literally there is no handbook or rule book that says sororities can't have alcohol. Like I've never heard that before. So just because you haven't haven't heard no, it no, doesn't no. mean it's not true. No, there no. are bylaws by which the organizations are responsible to follow to legitimize their place in the Greek life organization. A what? multi-million dollar corporation is what we're talking about. Just because you individually didn't experience that doesn't mean it's not true. So again, I'm, I am going to enlighten you. First, uh, fraternities and sororities, they are an incorporation. They are a cor- incorporation. They do have bylaws and constitutions. And when I say I never heard of it, it means that it's, it's not a thing. Why? Because I have multiple people in fraternities and sororities. I know multiple people from different types of uh, Greek organizations, both within, you know, the white fraternities and sororities and then the NAFLO uh, fraternities and sororities and then the Divine Nine Greek organizations. Again, there are multiple types of Greek organizations. If you are referring to sororities in the white community, in the Caucasian community, that may be what you are referring to. But last time I checked and I and my information is more complete because I I am in that uh, realm. Just to like knock that contention out the way, Greek organizations, both fraternity and sororities, can have liquor in their in their households, in their parties. When you say that number one sororities aren't allowed to distribute alcohol and fraternities are the ones that only foster and create the environment, that's just false. Again, just because your organization and the individual experiences that you're talking about of not individually knowing anyone who is subject to those bylaws doesn't mean they don't exist. If we look at the national level, we can see that's true across many Greek life organizations that establish a gender dynamic. We're going to cut in because we do have a time constraint. We can obviously go on this for a while. So we're going to move on. Greek life, how is it a benefit to college campuses? Winston, would you like to go first? Sure, I could go first. The benefit of having Greek life on campus, it affects numerous departments on the campus level. On the surface level, it affects the social life, the residence uh, life department, and the students And most of my comments are prefaced by saying divine nine Greek organizations, the first nine black and brown fraternities and sororities that are created for African-Americans and people of color. These Greek organizations, they do have their own standing grounds, their own stances and community service initiatives, etc. But what I will say is Greek life as a whole does uplift social life, uplift the culture of students provides a more welcoming environment for students to feel inclusive, to feel as though they have people who look like them in leadership positions. When we talk about inclusivity in social groups and structured organizations, I don't think Greek life is a great example. 
we have other ambassadors of our institution that represent our school's interests and represent our school's values and offerings for prospective students. That's what being in a club is. So when we're talking about the legitimacy of continuing to have these kinds of social organizations on campus, I question whether or not it's primarily in the interest of the school that gains more fundraising money from fraternity and alumni than nearly any other individual person. I am um, in my research in preparation for this, I found it's important to acknowledge how factors outside the university, such as wealthy donor alumni and politicians influence implementation of university rules and policies to privilege men and dismiss victims of sexual violence. And that in 2013, nearly 60% of all donations of more than $100 million to universities came from frat alumni. So they have a vested interest in protecting Greek life organizations for financial purposes. And if the existence of an organization is dependent upon their ability to financially compensate the university for protecting them, I would question whether or not it should still exist. You finished? Okay. So uh, with your um, research in terms of donations, I think that's very, how can I say it? I think it's like you're trying to bring a separate point into relation with Greek life. People who are involved in the campus of a school is going to have a way more vested interest in making sure that school is, you know, continuing to be the school that they knew and love. Of course, they're just gonna wanna give back. To say that what I mentioned is not connected to Greek life, I don't I don't know where that comes from. It's, I said in 2013, nearly 60% of donations more than $100 million came from fraternity alumni. Again, a vested interest of these institutions to protect organizations that will fund them in the future, to protect them against accusations of violence is what I'm talking about. And that is a direct result of maintaining and creating a culture of violence that but is protected by I mean, our institutions. I just want to say one last thing, though. You're saying you're saying um, that those donations are for X, Y and Z. So you're you're taking you're taking the fact that there are donations and you yourself are uh, taking it one step further in your assumptions. Do you guys think that frat sororities get a preferential treatment from their college campuses because they're more likely to donate, which I think you both kind of agreed they're more likely to donate right so do you think that gets them preferential treatment that's a great that's an inch that's a really interesting question just because of how it's framed because i would in fact argue that school life actually favors people in high uh, student leadership positions or activity positions in general and when i say that that question only refers to fraternity life but last time I checked, sports is actually one of the bigger money providers of college life. And in fact, there are more cases and stories of schools protecting their star athletes. I think that we have to be realistic and understand that Greek life does not look the same across the board. If we can understand that perspective and that fact, that because that is a fact, then I think a lot more constructive arguments and conversations can be had. Colleges most definitely cover up and refuse to pursue allegations of sexual violence 
in many cases, you're right about the student athletes because they are also part of a multi-billion dollar corporation and system that benefits universities that brings attention and funding to them. And when we're going to talk about, I won't negate that individual organizations do things differently, but we're talking about the Greek life system as a whole, as it functions nationally and in general trends. And I think it's negligent to speak about any specific experience, specific organization that's going to try to negate the culture that generally exists. To the point about sexual violence, from some of the stats that I found about individual schools, how many assaults were reported to their schools, which is always significantly less than which actually occurred, colleges in general will cover up sexual violence from anyone to defend them because no one wants to be the rape campus. No one wants to be the sexual violence campus. So they have yet again a vested interest in protecting their reputation as being a safe school by underreporting their numbers. Basically your opinion on if the only solution to problems that arise within Greek life is to end Greek life. We've seen initiatives across the general Greek life system to better educate individuals who go into these organizations on how to not be sexually violent, but I don't think they're effective. In part because the metaphor that I'll use, a lot of the arguments that I hear, similar to the like, it's not all cops, right? It's not all cops that are bad. There are individual bad players, one bad apple, blah, blah, blah. The second half of the phrase that we're missing here is one bad apple ruins the bunch. And we're talking not about individual incidents of an exploitative power dynamic, but a whole system of it. And that's why I don't want to speak just specifically about individual experiences and individual organizations because it's part of a greater system. So I don't think that we can modify our way to a better future. In saying that your stance and your belief is, you know, to end all Greek life, is that to the end of sexual violence on campus? Greek life isn't the sole perpetuator of sexual violence on campus, but it's a main player. And if we can identify and abolish systems that permit sexual violence, and we can identify one of them as being Greek life, take it down. So I would 100% say that it is not Greek life that is the main perpetuator of uh, sexual violence on campus. It is actually students and, yeah, students themselves. Why? Because... You just said that Greek life isn't the only, quote unquote, the only player in sexual violence. So if you remove Greek life, then sexual violence is still going to occur. Uh, One of my resources that I gathered for today, just a quick excerpt. Undergraduate men who are entering college for the first time have a 2% chance of committing an act of sexual violence by the end of their first year. If they join a fraternity, that percentage triples. So it's not a higher propensity towards sexual violence. It is the culture by which they enter into Greek life that they are more likely to commit sexual violence. Winston, can you give us some personal experiences about your fraternity and how it helped shape you? It definitely allowed me to really be the leader that I know I can be in terms of bringing out my leadership qualities, improving my public speaking, definitely being able to just uh, link me with opportunities inside the campus and outside 100% and really able to just connect with people and motivate, inspire. Is that to say that we can't develop leadership skills and a sense of community outside of Greek life organizations? It's not to say that, but again, let's be honest. And I've since I've been back in New Paltz, definitely I would say the, the social dynamic has take a crazy hit. 
you know, new pulse definitely looked a lot different than it does now. And there's a multitude of reasons for that. There are other avenues to develop into a leader. The only thing I can say is that there are differences in organizations and the way in how they conduct themselves, the way in how they carry themselves and the actual work. I feel like it'd be good to try to, like Kimberly say, one positive way frats can impact campuses and Winston could say one negative way that they can impact campuses. Being institutions that garner millions of dollars for universities, in part because of the legacy that they hold in protecting the people who have a f- potential future of giving them money. I, I just, I, I just want to say one thing as well before I give my, um, I guess, negative. Because again, a lot of a lot of anti-Greek positions are based in misconception, misinformation, and overall just putting entities under under an umbrella. In a majority of schools, majority of schools, Greek organizations are not funded at all. In fact, Greek organizations are the entities that put together um, programs, events that actually stimulate the the uh, campus economy. So well, that, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, right. But you're saying that's and then your points are are really negligible because the Greek organizations are more time than not actually doing events to fundraise and help stimulate the economy of the campus. I think that's just one thing to, to point out. But what I will say as far as a negative that I can definitely agree on in terms of Greek organizations is I can say that that definitely there are um, individuals who do join for the wrong reasons uh, and that can lead to uh, um, toxic um, environments. Again, this one of the stats that I, I just mentioned, it's not a higher propensity of individuals who are going into these organizations with the intention of abusing their power, but the culture established and perpetuated in the organization that permits it. That's where the recording ended, but not the debate. Even after we cut the mics, the guests kept at it. And that spillover conversation became even more heated. We had originally hoped to find some kind of middle ground, but that's not always possible. Make sure to go to Podcast Instagram and let us know what your thoughts are on this topic. For another insight on Divine Nine fraternities, make sure to check out the alumni episode of Podcast, featuring New Paltz Director of Alumni Relations, Chris Brown. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and stay tuned for season two of Podcast next semester. This episode of PulseCast was brought to you by SUNY New Pulse's DMJ 393 podcasting class. Special thanks to Ed and Gina Carroll for their generous support. We hope you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed creating. Don't forget to subscribe for new episodes every semester. This episode of PulseCast was recorded by Greg Verdami. Produced by Tajana Hicks. Written by Lauren Lee. And edited and mastered by Keith Courtright.